You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg. I'm here with my co-host David Ramil and the athletic Sam Amick. We've got an awesome show for you today. We're going to talk about what the Rockets can do to replace Clint Capella, the Mavs seeking to trade Dennis Smith Jr., and tonight's reunion between Jimmy Butler and the Timberwolves. But before we get to all of that, let's start in Brooklyn, where the Nets beat the reeling Boston Celtics 109-102. to The Celtics, who are missing both Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart for the game, trailed by as many as 27 points before going on a run and cutting the lead to 7 with a minute left in the game. But ultimately, the deficit was too much to overcome, and now the Celtics have lost three straight games, dropped to 5th place in the East, and there seems to be some tension in that locker room. Sam, losing to the Nets, even without Kyrie, doesn't help. How concerned should Boston be right now? I think pretty substantially. Uh, what jumps out to me about this one, and I think it's pretty obvious to anybody who knows that just the whole subplot here is, you know, to have Tyree and Marcus out and to have the narrative with the Celtics, you know, going into the year, we felt like it was an embarrassment of riches. And then we quickly, you know, kind of learned maybe the downside of that is too much of a good thing and guys having a hard time finding their roles. So this is the perfect kind of game for, you know, other guys to go ahead and step up, you know, whether it's Gordon Hayward, maybe having another breakout game, Jalen Brown, somebody like that, you know, Tatum had a big night but it wasn't enough. And, you know, for them to drop it is uh, you can use the excuse card with Kyrie and Marcus out, but it's another bad one. And the locker room stuff, I, I'm kind of torn on it because somebody asked me about it today when we did a Q&A at The Athletic. And if I thought that essentially Kyrie was going to propel them to a better place leadership-wise or be a destructive type force. And I was going with the former because I, I do think these guys are still young and and a little bit of edge is okay, but I'm, you know, I think I'm officially monitoring this hmm. at this point. I don't know which way it's going to get pushed, and uh, and this is a, a tough strike for them. David, the, a lot of the focus obviously is going to be on Boston because it's the Celtics, because the expectations were so high, and because Kyrie Irving, the things that he's saying in the media is kind of bringing it onto himself. But you tweeted something during the game, I think, where you know obviously a lot of the, the attention will be on Boston, but the Nets played a good game and they're playing really well right now. And for Brooklyn, they ended a 10-game losing streak to Boston, who's had their numbers in more way than one over the years. How impressed were you by the Nets tonight? I think they played a really solid game. D'Angelo Russell obviously hit some really big shots, and he felt like he was really dialed in. They're going to get Karis LeVert back at some point soon, and he was their best player earlier in the season. So uh, returning to a team that seems poised to make a playoff run seems like a really good thing for them. You know, Obviously, nobody had those kind of expectations for Brooklyn, maybe outside of that locker room anyway. But they seem like they're in a really good place. But I will say, as far as the Boston situation is concerned, I was there in that locker room on Saturday when Kyrie made those comments to the media. And one of the things that really stood out was, you know, among those comments, and he's taking some heat for it, and maybe rightfully so, but I think he was right on the money, is that last year, without Hayward, without Kyrie, um, you know, a lot of the guys were playing free of expectations, free of that weight of having to prove anything, and they played a much more relaxed version of, of of themselves and and so now trying to incorporate that that you know those the uh, gluttony of riches um you know it's been a little harder for them to find those roles and I, I think we're starting to see that kind of thing manifest really badly I, i'm actually really concerned about that boston locker room it was an ugly sight on saturday um and and Kyrie was being very honest and forthcoming about what he thought you know was missing from that team notably uh, uh, you know a lack of experience and i'm not sure that he's necessarily 
qualified for that. I mean, considering how young he is, he still has obviously a lot of experience at the championship level, but I'm not sure if he's necessarily comfortable leading that team. This is really, in effect, his first year with that group and trying to inspire them on a daily basis hasn't been an easy process. And there are some people, I think, in that locker room that kind of resent him for the things that he said. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. You know, guys like Terry Rozier in particular seem like they're struggling with, you know, what to do. He doesn't see himself as a true backup, and that's the role he has to accept. But then on a night like today when he could, you know, he had that starting option and he could have played better, he, he really was bad. Uh, and there are, you know, a number of guys like that from Tatum to, to Hayward to, you know, Jalen Brown, they're, they're struggling to find what their place on this team is. So, you know, I, again, I, I understand that Boston is – the big story out of tonight's game. It seemed like Tatum and Brown found their place tonight. Tatum, 34 points. Jalen Brown, 22 points. Kyrie Irving didn't play. Is there something to that? I'm just saying. Um, but let's go over to Houston, where the Rockets beat the Grizzlies, 112-94, to 94, behind James Harden's season-high 57 points. It was the Rockets' first game without Clint, Capla- uh, without Clint Capella since it was reported that he will be out Four to six weeks with a right thumb injury. Capella, obviously a big part of Houston's success. And the injuries now are just piling up with Chris Paul and Eric Gordon sidelined as well. The Rockets started 36-year-old Nene at center. They rotated guys like P.J. Tucker, Isaiah Hartenstein, Marcus Chris, and Gary Clark at center. It's center by committee right now for Houston. But it really didn't matter who was playing center because James Harden was cooking with his 57 points. It made it his 17th straight game with 30 or more points. Uh, the longest such streak since Wilt Chamberlain had 20 in a row in 1964. As long as Harden plays like this, it probably doesn't matter who the other four guys are, but at some point, they're going to have to find an answer with all those injuries, especially the Capella one, right, Sam? No, absolutely. I mean, listen, first of all, two thoughts. James, I don't honestly remember anybody like gaining so much ground in the MVP race as he has in the past three, four weeks. It, you know, I don't know the exact date, but I wrote a LeBron MVP narrative column not too long ago, and I, I'm not kidding. I keep owning this publicly just to, you know, in some sort of sick way, just shame myself because I can't believe I wrote it. I had like I had a throwaway line that said, you know, the Rockets are a train wreck or something along those lines, and or a mess. And and so you know, I had a you know quick reference to James in the MVP race, but gave him absolutely zero respect when it came to his candidacy because that's where it was for quite a while early on. And what he's done for this whole stretch is just incredible. And the narrative is, is if it keeps going this direction, as great as some of those other guys have been, you know, I think he could be looking at a, at a back-to-back MVP situation. Now, fatigue is the thing that we're going to be monitoring all year long with James. He does it again tonight. He goes crazy. He saves the day. No Clint Capella. They take care of, you know, a decent Memphis team. Um, but, you know, so short-term, fantastic, good for the MVP, candidacy, all those things. Long-term, not so great, you know, I mean, especially when you're playing better teams. You know, I was at that game against the Warriors, not, you know, I guess a week and a half ago where they took care of them. And, you know, Clint had, I think, 21 and 20 that night. I mean, he's just a massive part of what they do. Uh, they put an A in there tonight, doesn't play big minutes, but helps them out a little bit, you know, and, and they're just trying to do the patchwork thing. But I don't know who on the market they might be able to go out and get to fill that hole, you know, kind of a la – Austin Rivers when he came in after the Chris mm. Paul injury. Uh, but I guarantee you with Daryl Morey and, and Gerson Rosehouse in their front office that they're out there looking. And David, there should be some urgency, right? Because this isn't the Rockets from last year that had the best record in the Western Conference. This is a team that is, 
you know, they've, they've obviously risen up the Western Conference standings right now, but they're by no means solidly in there. I mean, one week of injuries, we've, we're seeing what's happening with the Lakers and LeBron right now, could put you out of the playoff race. You know what I mean? And so for the Rockets, they kind of have to move soon, even though the trade deadline is about a month away now, right? Okay, who can they even plug in that would actually contribute at a high level? I mean, they're not going to be able to trade for anybody without giving up some of the key pieces that are still healthy and contributing mm-hmm. at any kind of level. So anybody that they would acquire would be somebody just a placeholder until Capella comes back. But again, like Sam said, it's all about what happens in the long term. So if they do lose their place in the standings right now, I mean, I'm confident that Harden can keep this level of play up for the next couple of months, but it's going to be tough uh, as the season continues to draw on and whether or not fatigue eventually sets in. Their their window is closing, uh, even as good as Harden's been, if they're not able to get these guys back. Now, the flip side of that, though, is maybe these guys do come back and they're a little bit more rested because of the, sure. the long uh, you know, injuries, and maybe they come back and contribute at a high level and then lessen Harden's load in the playoffs. So that could be the flip side of it, that where this could actually seem like a negative now, but it could be a positive in the postseason. When it comes to James, I'm fascinated by, you know, his conditioning and his fatigue because, you know, Mike D'Antoni, who I get along pretty well with, like, you know, I've always loved Mike's candor and how he will simultaneously uh, essentially kind of kiss the ring when it comes to James and realize that James <laughs> is the franchise centerpiece. But he will also very candidly discuss James's struggles on fatigue the last couple of years. And, and in the kind of way that at times has made me feel like, geez, if James heard this comment or this quote, I don't know if he would love that, but it's been a real thing. This, this is tough to quantify. And this is like, you know, only the Rockets medical staff could really pinpoint this, but I would love to know, you know, in, in scientific terms, how much better he is this year conditioning wise in terms of just the kind of shape he's in. Cause it does seem like in terms of the eyeball test, if there's a very real improvement, and if that is in fact the case, I think that's actually a pretty huge X factor in the West for the Rockets and who they are. I mean, the streak speaks for itself. I mean, I know it's not the playoffs, but it's still 17 straight games. He broke. He, he got 17 straight games of 30 or more points in the first half tonight. Right. He had 36 in the first half. I mean, it just it speaks for itself. Let's get to some headlines from around the NBA. We'll start. In Sacramento, where the Kings got a nice win over the Trailblazers tonight and continue to be one of the feel-good stories in the league through halfway through the halfway point of the season. But Sam, as you reported Monday for the Athletic, GM Vlade Divac is still having to deal with some discontent from the team's minor, uh, minority ownership group. Can you tell us more about what's happening in Sacramento? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that guy at the party who just won't let anybody have a good time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're 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 having a great year, uh, and there have been just a bunch of subplots all the way through this season that, you know, were not nearly as rosy as you would assume, you know, based on the awful history of this franchise since essentially 2006 and, and, you know, how, the, how bad they've been since then compared to how decent they've been this year. So the latest twist was uh, it, you could almost spin it a little bit positive if you're a Kings fan. And you could say that maybe for the first time in Vladi Divac's four year tenure in their front office, this to me is almost it's kind of the first time that I've seen Vlade kind of puff his chest a little bit, and and he basically was frustrated by what he perceives as minority owners. Uh, you know, the word meddling its way was shared with me, and, and having a lot of strong opinions about this move and that move, and the situation with Dave Yeager and Brandon Williams, the the assistant GM, you know, who they've had a lot of friction all season long. Um, right. You know, as you guys know, minority owners, it's one of the trickiest relationships for any NBA team because. These people invest a lot of money in the team. They feel like they should have a voice. And the reality is 
the way that the, the bylaws are written, they have zero voice. They have none. Like they were, you know, the, the, the GMs could conceivably not answer their phone calls and technically not be doing anything wrong. You know, that's the reality. But, you know, a lot of times you kind of you play the game. So he has a conference call. Vladi does not to, to bury the lead on you, but he has a conference call with the minority owners and in a fairly strong way, sent the message that he wanted everybody to back off. Let me do my job. Uh, I've been doing this for a while now. Things are working out pretty well this, you know, this season. Uh, just and also, you know, a major focal point was to stop leaking stuff to the media, stop talking to media members about stuff that, you know, potentially could hurt uh, and wind up in headlines. So he's trying to get, you know, a cleaner shop, so to speak, and trying to he's he's really running around the whole organization trying to you know convince everybody to be positive and enjoy what they're doing here. Do you see that kind of effort from Divac having uh, a kind of trickle down effect to the players? You know, obviously they're still young and a little unproven for the most part. Does this kind of seem like a vote of confidence where they can become fully engaged for a potential playoff run down the season? You know, maybe it's funny though. They've been impressively disconnected from all the drama that, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in their locker room, but the little time I've spent like their players and, and from talking to people around the team, everybody talks a lot about, how they really seem to be compartmentalizing it. And they might see stuff on social media, but for the most part, they've ignored it. I even had a funny exchange with Buddy Heald a couple of weeks ago where, you know, they had won another game. And I, I don't know Buddy all that well, but we were talking and, and I said something along the lines of, you know, have you guys put all this stuff with, with Coach Yeager and Brandon Williams in the, in the background? And he just kind of shook his head and laughed. He's like, man, you're trying to start something. And, you know, like they just aren't letting that noise come into their locker room. Mm. Uh, I do, though, think that like Vladi's spirit does resonate with these players. And I do also think this is kind of the other elephant in the room that big picture here. What's interesting is that Jaeger has one more year left on his deal. There's definitely no guarantee that he's back next season. I know that seems crazy, but that I do believe that's the case. Vladi also has one year left on his deal. So it's a little bit of a, a weird in between where people keep saying, you know, the fans want to give Jaeger an extension. And, and I almost don't, I, you know, I wouldn't blame Vlade if he's looking at it like, all right, well, usually the GM knows if he's going to be around first. Um, so they haven't really resolved that part either. And, uh, and those guys are on the same timeline. Yeah. We've seen teams sort of overachieve one season, especially like young teams will overachieve, kind of sneak up on the NBA. Teams aren't really ready for it. You know, the Kings went from a slow pace to playing one of the fastest paces in the league this year. De'Aaron Fox has taken a big leap, obviously. So is Buddy Heald. Uh, but you hope that basically you just, I, th- I feel like Kings fans everywhere are just like kind of like clenching their fists, hoping that they don't screw this up and say, this isn't just a flash in the pan that there's really, because there is stuff to build on here. It's just a matter of doing it right, you know? And, and I do think that a lot of, Kings fans are a little apprehensive about where this is going to go, especially like Jaeger's done a nice job this year. Vlade, seem, he, he seems to have won the DeMarcus Cousins trade. Like you look at this roster and you look at the, yeah, they don't have a pick this summer, but they've got picks going forward. They're, they're kind of in a good position magically. Like it's kind of crazy, but the Kings are like in a really good spot right now, Sam. No, it is. It's crazy. I mean, if you break down the X's and O's of the DeMarcus trade, they get Buddy healed out of that. They get Justin Jackson, Harry Giles, because they took that one first-rounder, flipped it with Portland into two. So that led to those two players. They got Frank Mason in the second round. You know, and he's not playing big minutes, but he does play. Um, They also, and they make this point, they lost just enough, you know, after losing DeMarcus in that trade, essentially tanked just enough to to wind up taking De'Aaron Fox. 
And if you remember, they, they had the pick swap with the Sixers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the only thing, if you want to nitpick, you could say that that, so Boston ends up getting Tatum, um, you know, and, and doing the trade with Philly. But it's still, it, the ripple effect was also them getting De'Aaron Fox, who they see as, you know, certainly the point guard of the future. And with the pick itself and the infamous, awful, you know, mistake of a, of a Sixers trade when it comes to, you know, the, one of the first moves Lottie ever made, he didn't really know what he was doing yet. And we all know the story there where, you know, he could have uh, stretched those guys. And instead, you know, he sends Carl Landry, Jason Thompson to Philly and, uh, and gives up a first rounder. That pick, which they lose this year because they're actually winning games. Now you're talking about like a 14, 15 pick instead of a, you know, top five, which we thought it was going to be going into the year. So it really has fallen you know, in a pretty positive way for the Kings. Let's go to Dallas, where the Mavericks are shopping second-year point guard Dennis Smith Jr. According to Woj, the Magic and Suns are both interested. There's been concerns about how Dennis Smith Jr. fits next to Luka Doncic, and it seems like the Mavs have seen enough. David, what do you think about their decision to move on and lean all the way into the Luka era? I think it's a necessary one, but at the same time, it's also a hasty one. I think it's necessary because... It seems like the relationship between Dennis Smith Jr. and Rick Carlisle, predictably, is fractured to a point where it can't be repaired. Um, you know, if they can't see eye to eye, if if Smith can't play to Carlisle's expectations, especially in the wake of Doncic's incredible performances this year, it, it's going to be problematic down the line. But at the same time, I mean, he's a second-year guard. Uh, figuring out how he can play alongside Doncic was always going to be an adjustment of some kind. And he's actually shown some improvement, particularly in his perimeter shooting. So it's not like he's a terrible fit there, although the on-court and off-court numbers kind of show that he's not as good an option alongside Luka as some other options on that roster. But at the same time, I mean, what are you playing for? I mean, are, you're not making the playoffs this year. Or you're likely not. If you trade him, whatever you get in return for a player like Dennis Smith is probably not going to help propel you in the standings to any point, at any significant point. So you're giving up on a player who has a lot of potential there and has shown improvement and does have the kind of athleticism to compete at a high level. So I'm not exactly sure what the thought process is, but I guess it's, again, that relationship with Carlisle has just gone to a point where there's not, there, it's beyond salvageable. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind the move if and when it's made. If you, if, look, if the Mavs have decided that Dennis Smith Jr. isn't the kind of guard that needs to play next to Luka Doncic, then just cut bait. Like, it's... If you can get something for him now, look, I don't know what his trade value is. And I guess, Sam, maybe there, you have an idea maybe of what that might look like. But, you know, if you could get something for him in return, maybe not even a player, but if you can get like a first round pick, you picked him at nine, that's a sunk cost. But if you can get like a, mid, a middle of the first round pick, you've got Doncic now. You know the kind of players you have to build around him with, right? Because you got Dennis Smith Jr. before you got Doncic. You didn't know you were going to get Doncic. So now you know your centerpiece. You know the kind of guys that you need to build around with them. Go get those guys and just accumulate assets to get more of those guys. I'm I'm actually fine with it. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with David. I think a little bit where it's just hard to have this really hard pivot from Dennis Smith Jr. as an exciting young member of the Mavericks future to okay, now it's a bad fit. Time to dump him. And I also, you know, I this is dicey territory to go into because saying anything even that you know remotely perceived as negative towards Luca these days is, is a terrible idea but mm, you know like no I do I just think it does like fit matters and I don't think it's a it's a fantastic development that you know that that kind of one of your assets panning out as well as he has ends up you know and it's not a direct correlation to Dennis 
having a bad year, but I mean, we all know that this, you know, the way Luca plays the usage rate and the way you're going to run that team, it changed kind of, you know, forever. The, when, when he showed up and changed Dennis's, I think his arc a little bit. So, but if you are already convinced that a, like you said, it's a sunk cost West and you just don't see, you know, this fit ever happening. Yeah. I I do understand you got to move on. You're going to find better pieces to put around Luca. Uh, and I think Phoenix to me is, is the one that if they can, I don't know what they would give up, but I think that one would be really interesting because, you know, quietly some of their young pieces have done some pretty nice things lately, you know, chief among them, DeAndre. Uh, and, you know, they're playing DeAnthony Melton right now, big minutes, which is kind of all you need to know. I think you know, Dennis could go in and give them a little bit of life. And uh, I'd be curious to see that fit. Yeah, and going next to Devin Booker, who could stretch the floor a little bit from that other backcourt position. That's a good fit. I mean, defensively, there are some issues, but if you're Phoenix, you can deal with that down the road. Um, just get a point guard who can play for you some major minutes. Um, in other news, the NBA found that the Cleveland Cavaliers were not in violation of the league's CBA after waiving Patrick McCaw. McCaw will be a free agent, and the Cavs will not be penalized for waiving him after signing him to a non-guaranteed offer sheet. And according to Yahoo's Chris Haynes, the Bulls, don't intend to buy out Senator Robin Lopez, who would prefer to play for a contender like the Warriors, or maybe exactly the Warriors. Um, Chicago could seek to trade him for draft picks instead. We've got our Locked On line of the night coming up next. Before we get to our Locked On line of the night, let's check in on the other scores from Monday, David. Tony Parker returned to San Antonio for the first time since signing with the Hornets last summer, and he helped lead Charlotte to a 108-93 win. He had just eight points in the second half as the Hornets pulled away, although Kemba Walker finished with 33. Donovan Mitchell scored 28 points to lead the Utah Jazz, a 194 win over the Pistons. The Jazz have now won 10 of their last 14, and they're in position to make a playoff run the second half of the season. The Kings, of course, get a big win, 115-107 to 107 over the Blazers. They won four of their last five. And the Pelicans held off the L.A. Clippers 121 to 117 behind 46 points from Anthony Davis. It's time for our Locked On line of the night. Some good options, some great options. James Harden with 57 points, nine rebounds, two assists in the win. Rudy Gobert put up 18 points, 25 rebounds, three assists, two blocks in his win. D'Angelo Russell 34 points, seven assists, and five rebounds. Damian Lillard put up 35 points and five assists in that loss to the Kings. And then Anthony Davis 46 points, 16 rebounds, four assists three steals, and one block. Sam, which one is your locked on line of the night? Man, oh, man, we got a late entry there with, with AD coming up big. The uh, the Pelicans were up huge in that game, almost gave it away. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the hater of the night, and I'm going to – are we allowed to skew negative on line of the night? Is that ever uh, allowed? <laughs> it's never happened, but let's see, let's, let's see where this goes. <laughs> I just caught notice of C.J. McCollum. Uh, coming in two of 14, shooting six points against the Kings in a 115-107 loss. And it got my attention because earlier today I was struck by and entertained by the, uh, the the really creative Blazers all-star campaign where Damian Lillard, you know, kind of stumps mm. for CJ and CJ stumps for Damian. And those two guys are tremendous. I, I just, you know, I, this is the first time since CJ had any kind of rise that we've really seen him fall at all. He's had pretty tough stretches this year it's puzzling uh and and so anyway of all those lines i'm, I'm gonna be that guy and, and pick that one it was the locked on lame of the night or something yes I don't know. we'll come up with something better there you go. <laughs> um no nurkic has kind of become portland's second best player this season or is at least playing that way and and he uh, wasn't he's any playing better really tonight, well yes i agree that's true uh david what about you 
I'm tempted to go with D'Angelo Russell's 34 points. I mean, that was a, a pretty big game against a, a weak uh, Boston backcourt there, but uh, I don't know how I could overlook James Harden. I mean, we've gone to the point uh, in the Harden narrative where we're kind of getting used to these stat lines uh, on a, a nightly basis, and he's just putting up these monster numbers. Even against the Magic uh, last night, actually, on, on Sunday night, he, he struggled from the field there a little bit, still put up a pretty big stat line, even if though it, it wound up being a loss. But 57 points and a win for Houston. I mean, spectacular effort. No, I've got to give it to James. I'll go with Anthony Davis. I mean, he just filled this box score. 46 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals and a block. I mean, he's just doing this all the time. If the Pelicans were a teensy bit better, he would be legitimately in the MVP conversation. He might even still be in the MVP conversation. But um, unless the Pelicans start winning more, he won't end up being the MVP. But um, finally, we've got six games Tonight, the Phoenix Suns and the Indiana Pacers, and then on NBA TV, we've got the Minnesota Timberwolves and Philadelphia 76ers. Jimmy Butler um, reunites with the six uh, with the Timberwolves since the trade for the first time. The Thunder will play the Hawks. The Heat will play the Bucks. The Bulls will play the Lakers, and the Warriors will play the Nuggets. Sam, which one are you looking forward to the most? I'm going with that last one. I uh, did not anticipate the Denver Nuggets being atop the Western Conference. You know, you know, past a halfway point. I thought they'd be good. I thought they were definitely going to be a playoff team. But this has been a pretty neat run to, to kind of watch uh, from a distance. I haven't been around that team all that much. But, man, Jokic, what he does. Jamal Murray, I still think, you know, even everybody knows who he is and what he does. But I still think a little bit under the radar when it comes to what his ceiling is going to be. And they play the Warriors really well. And, you know, it's going to be obviously on that Nuggets home floor. And, and Golden State has picked things up. Recently, you know, and, and I'm a lot closer to that team. There's some fascinating, interesting stuff happening on the floor between Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. We've gone from this kind of stretch where Kevin was, you know, yet again, kind of getting accused of dominating the offense too much and, and kind of jamming up their action with the way he ends up preferring to play a lot of iso ball to then deciding to just play differently. And now he's yielding to Steph like crazy and they are just you know far and away i think the best one-two punch going in the league right now so i think tomorrow night should be fun david what are you watching you know i'm kind of tempted to go miami and milwaukee just because i think that's a fun matchup just to see if miami is really able to compete with the bucks that have been as good as they i mean as good as any team in the league really um and, and although golden state at denver seems like a really really fun option i don't want to be too duplicative of what sam said so <laughs> i'm going i'm going with a drama of minnesota and philadelphia the way carl anthony towns has been playing of late to see him match up with joel bead uh for philadelphia it's an opportunity to kind of squash a lot of the talk about their lack of chemistry etc and, and to see how jimmy butler responds uh you know it's not going to be him leading the third team against the, the the timberwolves in this case but it should still be a pretty fun game so i'm curious to see how that plays out so nobody's going with uh, jim boylan bulls versus the lebronless lakers uh, we're just was a close one not... uh, <laughs> hey I'm, I'm a little you know i got a little bit of Lakers fatigue. I spent a lot of time doing Luke Walton <laughs> stuff this week. And uh yeah. I will say, jokes aside, that man, that you just made me tired even thinking about it. They better <laughs> win that game or else I'm gonna have to be getting on that phone and you know making sure that Luke's not gonna lose his job. I, I don't know, you know, there's no imminent reason to think that it's that bad right now when it comes to whether or not he's actually gonna get fired. But this little this little back to back is is uh, is kind of a trap when you look at them losing to Cleveland mm. and then the idea of possibly losing to Chicago. And I, I only say that because you know Magic now famously, infamously, is, is widely known as a, as a pretty intense, aggressive executive. And so there's always this kind of sense 
that, you know, who knows what game might put him over the edge. It's definitely something to keep our eye on. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's worth watching. Um, but that's all we have for today. Make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. And remember that you can listen to the show by telling your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>